Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another Forza Italian football podcast. We're still here. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, joined as ever by Kev Pugzelski. Kev, say hello to our lovely listeners. Hi, lovely listeners. Nice to be here. Kev, we're joined by someone else as well, but I don't quite recognise him. Can you tell me who that person is? Yeah, it's um, it, he's just um, broke out of a, a mental hospital where he's had his luscious uh dark lock curly locks uh sheared by his uh sheep uh rustling father is you wouldn't make Do- a host come on what's his name is vito vito doria <laughs> hello vito hello everyone hello everyone yeah got the, um, the story so of how you got your haircut sounded quite harrowing you told us off air but it seems like your your father held you hostage and got rid of your hair uh yeah, well, it was, uh, you know, did a video call with my sister, saw my hair, and then, uh, then my, and then she suggested, you know, just do it, just get the haircut, and dad was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it, and my dad, in general, has a bit of an aversion to me growing my hair, even though we're still in lockdown here in Victoria. So yeah, yesterday he shaved it off, and uh, yeah, it probably took a bit longer than usual, but I think it's just more him showing his age, being 70 <laughs> years old and all. There you so go, Kev, has that happened to you? Has it, has it ever happened to me? What, are you getting slower now as you're approaching 70? Oh, well, <laughs> I, don't, I am getting slower, yeah, but I'm not approaching 70. Well, I mean, technically we all are, no? But anyway, um, we're all approaching 70. Some of us are considerably closer than, uh, than others. I'm the furthest away, <laughs> thankfully, even though it might not look it. But we we have plenty of football to, to talk about this weekend. And I, I feel like I was served up some sweet karma by the footballing gods because 
I poked a little bit of fun at the Premier League becoming accustomed to the outrageousness of the, the handball rule that we had to endure in Serie A over the last the previous 12 months. Um, and then Roma-Juve happened, Kevin. <laughs> we got some of those handball penalties ourselves that finished 2-2 in the capital. Um, two penalties, both scored, one for each team, and fair enough result. Uh, well, the, the the result of the penalty calls, um, <laughs> I have more sympathy with Juve than I do uh, Roma. Um, I, you know, years ago, I would have probably said if somebody's using their uh, common sense or a little bit of discretion, the ball's going high and wide when it hits Rabio's hand. Um, you know, that's not necessarily the rule. There's been quite a lot of discussion, as you mentioned in the in the Premier League this weekend and I, I kind of for, one, for once in my life found myself uh, agreeing with uh, former Inter boss Roy Hodgson where it's this it should just be uh, if it's a deliberate attempt to to play the ball and I think you know people go oh you can not always tell whether it's deliberate then at least we take uh, take them at face value that it wasn't deliberate and you know that's clearly obvious and if it's just ball to hand you know, like Rabio's was really from real close range, um, even if, you know, because your body moves in unnatural positions anyway. Um, you know, if you're twisting, if you're turning, if you're stretching things. Um, but with the, the Pellegrini one, I think it's the fact that he's, 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 he's sort of, he's stretching down towards the floor. Mm. I know it's to try and shift his body, but, you know, his, his arm from probably his elbow down to his hand is lower than his waist. So the fact that Ronaldo's pass hits that hand, I've got slightly less sympathy for that. But it is, it's still the the rule that most of Europe are trying to sort of implement at the moment is, is beyond the joke. It's funny because the, the Rabiot thing, I don't have a lot of sympathy for him, you know, because his hand was, was quite high. And I think... I might be misremembering, but there was this transitional phase of the handball rule where for one year it was if it wasn't in the natural position of a silhouette, right? And the, the arm being up where Rabiot's was, wasn't. But then the the penalty that Juve were awarded, I, I'm, I'm annoyed by it because obviously it was a penalty because of the rules. But if Pellegrini had fallen over at that point, because he's sort of leaning to his left, if he had fallen completely to his left, that's not a penalty because technically then his arm is in a position where it's supporting himself between his body and the ground. And the rules say that that is not a penalty. So I think if Pellegrini had been thinking a little bit quicker, he might have just thrown himself to the ground after the ball bounced off his arm and said that it was just there as, as support for his body. But look, we're not going to talk about penalties. The result as a whole, Vito, Roma probably could have... Um, perhaps should have left with all three points, but Ed and Dzeko seemed to, I don't know, have split loyalties between Roma and the club he almost joined in Juve. Hmm. I think it, it's possible, and uh, there was uh, that particular chance in the second half, I think it was when he hit the post, so I think that would have been a great chance to really give uh, Roma the win, but uh, even if we go back to the First half, there was a great solo run from Mikitarian where he probably should have uh, passed to Pedro 
to his left and uh, open the scoring there and then before there were any goals scored. Otherwise, if uh, Mkhitaryan really wanted to take all the glory for himself, he probably should have uh, chipped the ball over Szczesny. After all, it was only, well, it was uh, just yesterday that uh, Roman's club legend Francesco Totti had his birthday and he was an expert at chipping. So that would have been a nice tribute. Yeah, it would have. That was actually a, a remarkable miss. I don't want to be too hyperbolic about it, but he did the difficult part. And when he was one-on-one, you would have backed any of Roma's 11 outfield players, or 10 outfield players to, to put that away. It was quite a poor miss. But Dzeko, I mean, he had quite an interesting evening, Kev, because he, he went to war with Chiellini in the first half as well. And there was that bizarre incident where Dzeko, who had got onto what he would consider to be the right side, what Chiellini would consider to be the wrong side of Juve's back line, and instead of just running through, he decided to, despite being in front of Chiellini, pull Chiellini's shirt so that Chiellini fell on top of him. Everyone thought it was going to be a free kick and possibly a red card for Chiellini, but the referee, to his immense credit, spotted somehow that Dzeko had actually committed the foul, and it was a, a strange incident. Yeah, well, the whole the whole uh, Jekko Chiellini battle was quite compelling through the evening. So maybe it was a touch of, you know, you kind of forget where you are because you're just sort of tussling. Um, maybe Jekko really wants to wear that Juve shirt that he was willing to rip <laughs> it off of <laughs> one of his the opposition's um, backs. But um, but yeah, I don't know you know the I was going to say the football romantic in me, but maybe just my age. It was it was it was quite nice at times just seeing them sort of just going half a level with each other and kind of not you know apart from Chiellini's usual histrionics, um, not really making making too much of it. But um, yeah, you think that's probably a hat trick of of poor decisions from Jekko on the night because he would have been through and then the two misses that he probably should have done better with. If we look at it, Juve were, I'm not going to make it seem like we're just bashing them already in the season, but they were very, very lucky to escape with with the point here because Dzeko missed a handful of chances and Roma's defending themselves was actually quite poor. So they were let down at both ends of the pitch. Kevin, which do you put it down to? Like, why... Why are Roma ending this evening feeling like they've lost this game, even though they haven't? Well, I, I looked at it after after that we went. They went in at the break two one up. They looked like a side that were fully focused on playing the nine time consecutive Italian champions, and Juve looked like a side that felt that they had to do almost a bare minimum because they were were reigning champions over such a long time. And you thought that then Juve would come out a little bit like they, they recovered from going um, one goal behind in the second period. And they didn't, which was one thing I found quite strange. It was almost the Rabio red that made Juve sort of come to life. But maybe a little bit of Cristiano Ronaldo, because then he was uh, trying to make up for that that spare man. Um, but I, I don't I don't like the fact that, that Syria has decided to stick with the five substitutions. Um, I think you would potentially say tonight that uh, Fonseca has um, shuffled his pack too much when, you know, a little bit of um, 
consistency, if you like, or regularity was whatever the word is that I can't put out of my brain, um, was needed just to sort of see the result through. Yeah, they just needed that little bit of an house almost to get over the line. But if we're talking about coaching decisions, I'll bring you back in, Vito, for this one, which is that Rabio did get sent off. So Juve finished with 10 men. He had been on a yellow card before his... Um, quite foolish second yellow card, I think it's fair to say. But um, Andrea Pirlo came in for some criticism on a lot of the commentary feeds and the, the Twitter uh, discourse. But is that just people being wise after the event and saying that Rabiot should have been taken off? Or can you understand maybe why Pirlo would have trusted one of his players to not do something stupid in that situation? I think given the timing of Rabiot's send-off, I think... I believe that all this commentary about Pirlo not taking him off earlier, I think it's just more or less just having that benefit of uh, hindsight. Um, uh, when you consider the time that uh, Rabio had his second yellow, the 62nd minute, um, you'd think that uh, players would still be able to sort of uh, keep their cool. Or you, a coach would probably expect that the player would still just keep going, keep on playing, and uh, um, really, it's probably a time in the game where you wouldn't really expect uh, too many substitutions anyway. So maybe the 60th minute he could have come off, but in saying that, you'd think that Pirlo would would have made a change uh, a bit later than that. It wasn't like uh, Rabio got sent off in the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes. So I think if uh, that had been the case, then I suppose the whole idea of uh, Rabiot needing to come off early and would have been more applicable in those circumstances. There does seem to be only one of two narratives applied if someone gets sent off for a second yellow card. and One is if the two yellow cards happen quite quickly, the player's an idiot. And the other is if they don't happen in quite quick succession, the, the coach is an idiot for not taking them off. But, I mean, you can't take off a player every time they get booked because how often do players go on and get a second yellow card it's it's quite a small proportion of the number of times they get a yellow card I would imagine but in terms of strange decisions Kev Andrea Pirlo did opt for Juan Cuadrado at left back for probably I've seen a few people say the first time in his career spends most of his time on the right um, usually quite far forward compared to this but he has played right back for Juve on a fair few occasions but we saw Gianluca Frabotta play left-back last week and do quite well. He didn't play this week. Is, is Pirlo trying to send a message that he needs more options there? Well, if that's the only two options they've got there, then you'd argue that he does need it. It was just, it was really strange, but it it, it stuck out so obviously. You know, now Quadrado, Quadrado is probably... He's, he's extremely consistent. He's probably one of the most consistent players Juve's got. You know, he might be uh, a seven out of ten every week, or you know, seven and a half out of ten every week. But every time tonight down the down the left hand side, he got the ball and he sort of checked, either back in or just paused, and, and sort of didn't give what you want. You know, it, it sounds a bit too sim- simplistic to say that you you play a left foot on the left because there's the obvious reasons why Kulisevsky's playing off of off of the right because of how he cuts in. But you've got to also offer the option of going to the byline and crossing or giving something something different. But 
it wasn't it wasn't that he can't do that. It was that Quadrado looked unsure of going down the wing on his left and taking the ball how he, as he naturally would if he's playing on the right. And um, if, that, if that is the only options that you both got, then uh, they need to uh, find a solution to get around that. Yeah, well, one of the games of the weekend came in Milan, where Inter beat Fiorentina just about, despite some Twitter accounts saying they steamrolled them, they did just about beat them 4-3. It was 3-2 to Fiorentina until the 86th minute. Lukaku leveled in the 87th. And Danilo D'Ambrosio, who, I don't know why, but in my head, he scores this goal a lot. A late, important goal, back post, scrappy enough, but good. Um, Inter won 4-3. It was a thrilling game, Vito. And this is the type of game that I think our listeners will know is right up your street. Well, certainly. Um, there were quite a few games that you would label as advertisements for Italian football, and this was certainly one of them. Uh, lots of drama, some exciting football, and, yeah, of course, uh, in some ways, you know, with Italian football, a bit of controversy, not so much with, say, refereeing and all that, but probably more just the coaching choice decisions on Fiorentina's part because... Uh, Fiorentina did lead this game twice, yet uh, yeah, Inter managed to get the win. As you said, D'Ambrosio was the hero once again, and he has this knack of uh, scoring these kind of uh, goals. I mean, you touched on the coaching decisions. They did take off Giacomo Bonaventura, Federico Chiesa, Christian Kwame, and Frank Ribery. Beppe Acchini very much taking what you might consider a conservative, more old-fashioned view on trying to see out the win. And I know that's something that you're not too pleased about on the best of time, at the best of times. No, no, because I'm totally convinced, especially when Italian teams do it, regardless if it's club football or international football, I just think it's a very dated approach and it doesn't work anymore. Uh, one way or another, for some reason, Italian teams have a way of just letting these leads slip and the opposition managed to capitalise on it. So although this was just a Serie A game, um, I think it's one of those common problems that I've seen in the last 15, 20 years. You can't just shut shop too soon and then put uh, your best players on the bench just to rest them, just let them see out the game and try to kill it off. What I will also say, though, is... uh, there was one instance where Fiorentina really should have made it 4-2. Ribery passed to Dusan Vlaovic, who came on as a sub. And the miss, oh my God, that is one of the worst mm. misses I've seen all season. He should have just shot first time and at least hit the target, even if he went straight at Samir Handanovic. But he shot completely wide, Vlaovic. Oh, that was atrocious. And then maybe, again, we're talking benefit of hindsight, maybe if... Um, he did make it 4-2. Then the whole taking off the attacking players might have been a bit more reasonable. But uh, it's just a staggering miss. And it showed it really it cost Fiorentina the game as well, not just the uh, Yakini's decisions. Am I right, Kevin, saying that was he as well who was out-jumped by D'Ambrosio for what was the eventual winner? Yeah, he was, he was certainly the closest man to him. I'm not sure... If it was a case of being out jumped, or maybe he didn't w- watch his run because I don't, I don't think he knew where he was. Obviously, he is an attacker uh, defending in the latter stages, and they can make those sort of mistakes. But he he looked completely baffled that uh, the Ambrosio had come up behind him and and, and nodded home. 
Yeah, well, Vito has just pointed out that La Gazzetta della Sport gave him the the worst um, rating of any of the Fiorentina players on the pitch, which, I mean, those two incidents alone, you can't justify that, I guess. But th- those players who came off, there were Kwame and Chiesa, both scored, and Ribery and Bonaventura, who both assisted. And we're going to talk about Ribery in a moment, don't worry. But I think I need to take this opportunity to point out Giacomo Bonaventura's assist for Kwame's opener. He was two or three yards out from goal. And instead of shooting where he probably had, I don't know, a 70% chance of scoring himself, he just knocked it across, um, giving Kwame a probable 99% chance of scoring. And I just thought that was a really, really nice touch from Bonaventura, who, who could have well scored himself. So big up to Jack. But I mean, look, the past that people want us to talk about isn't that one, is it? It's, oh, Kev, Frank Ribery. He, he, was, he was pulling some filthy strings from midfield for Fiorentina. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable because he didn't have to thread it through two. Uh, I was saying one player, he, he threaded it through two, but he's also only just probably got shy of the centre circle. Um and you give some credit to the run that's made, but you know probably playing with Ribery and knowing that he can deliver that ball is why you make that run. But um, the sort of it was the the precision and the pace on the ball was just was just beautiful. And um, he had another excellent game. And had Fiorentina probably gone on to win this, and he'd stayed on the pitch and probably played the <laughs> the perfect pass for the winner, then he'd probably be our player of the week. It was one of those passes that made you make an involuntary noise while watching it on, on TV. Even like you, you see it and you think, oh, and then you watch it back on the replay and the angle changes and it's a little bit slower and you make the same noise, but a little bit louder. It was, it was beautiful. Um, the kind of pass that not many players in the world, let alone in Serie A, can, can one spot and two execute. It, it was phenomenal, but... You mentioned the run from Federico Chiesa. It was a, it was a nice finish too, and yeah, and it's it's one of those because of the ball you want it to be not only a finish but you want it to be a nice finish, and uh, it was it was dinked just enough to almost rise above Handanovic's uh, sort of shoulder, and I mean, it might it might even have got a, br- a sort of a brush of his uh, of his shirt and trickle in, but uh, yeah, lovely finish. Take a moment to talk about Chiesa because. I, I'm personally someone who has found myself growing frustrated with him. Every time I go to the to the Frankie, which last season was more often than I would have perhaps liked, he's, he's a player who drives me mad a little bit. And it seems now that you can't have an opinion on Chiesa that it isn't one extreme or the other. I've noticed a lot of um, the conversation on Twitter is either that A, he's incredible and the best player Italy have, or he's terrible and shouldn't be anywhere near uh, a target for Juventus. But in reality, Vito, is it not fair enough to say that he's an immensely talented player with a huge potential, but also has serious issues in his game that he needs to iron out? I think you just summed it up in a nutshell, Connor. Um, That's pretty much it with uh, Chiesa. He does have the potential, and I think, uh, you know, the talent is certainly there. Um, I do agree that he's probably not worth the 70 million that Fiorentina are asking for him and that Juventus don't really 
need him as such. But for Fiorentina, I think he's ideal. Um, I still think he can be an important player for the Italian national team. But more than anything, whenever I'm on social media, I tend to repeat myself and say that he needs more goal involvement in general. And I'm sure that I've said the same thing on previous editions of the podcast too. Um, if we can see Chiesa get more involved in the goals, and I know he's playing as a wing-back under Yakini, but even so, if he can have some sort of involvement, whether it's putting the ball in the back of the net or even setting up a few for his teammates, I think we'll be really seeing a complete player and a very dangerous player too. So um, he's 22 at the moment. He should be turning 23 soon. And... Uh, yeah, I really hope that he can click on and reach his potential because if we're to bring up another, well, former Fiorentina winger, um, Federico Bernardeschi, unfortunately, probably hasn't lived up to his potential. So I'm hoping that Chiesa can prove to everyone that he's the real deal. Yeah, I do personally think that Chiesa's a much better player than Bernardeschi ever was. And in Chiesa's defence, he's never really had a great coach. Has he? I mean, Yakini at the moment, he's not someone you'd want in charge of a talent like that. Montella, Kev, you look like you want to interject. Well, yeah, you say great coach or great players. I think part of the problem with Chiesa is everyone in Florence wants him to be a 20-25 goalless season striker, and I don't necessarily see that as his role. I think if he's playing in a if he's playing in a side with a goal scorer that's going to get you 20-25 goals, then people will be happy with him laying on sort of um, 10 to 15 assists and getting 10 to 15 goals himself but but in a poor Fiorentina side they kind of want him to do everything because he's this great uh, way to hope. I actually think probably Ribery turning up last year took a little bit of the burden off of him but people know that Ribery's at the back end of his career. Yeah well I mean Ribery's kind of like what I expect Messi to do when he's older which is he can play for as long as he wants. He's just not going to be the player that everyone knows him as being. Ribery could operate as a, I don't know, a deep-lying playmaker for another five years if he wanted to, you know? Just stop dribbling and just keep playing passes like that. But yeah, take the point. Anyway, on to Napoli, who, I mean, I can see I've not even mentioned the opposition. And look at Mr. Doria's face right now. But Napoli absolutely destroyed Genoa Vita, which I'm sure is something that gives you a lot of happiness to see. 6-0. And I think four of those goals came in the space of about 10 second half minutes. Well, it was, uh, just happened so rapidly. And uh, it just that burst, you know, when they went to 3-0 up and then went all the way to 6-0. So it was about 10, yeah, maybe about 13 minutes. But wait, no. Okay. No, no, actually, it was, uh, yeah, something like that. Sorry. No, it's just, it was the middle of the morning when I did the match report, but it was incredible, though. Um, I actually thought Genoa were looking all right in the first half, but in the second half, it was like they didn't turn. It was like um, they hadn't turned up, and then Napoli really just turned on the style. The the scary thing to consider, though, is Lozano could have had a hat-trick in that game. He missed a really good chance. And in the second half to make it uh, first half when it was still 1-0. And Victor Ozzyman, he probably had about six chances in the first half, but he couldn't hit the target most of the time. So, yeah, it does make you wonder. Even if Perrin did not contract the coronavirus and was in goal, just Napi looked really dominant in this game, really turned on the style. And 
yeah, if uh, Ozzyman was more accurate, oh, it would have looked even more embarrassing for the grip form. Well, I think Vito's been um, uh, a little bit more excitable than than I would have been about the performance. I, I think um, I think Genoa did really well first half. You know, you could see, you know, they they were compact. They were they couldn't they had high level of concentration. They kept it at one nil, and then you came back from the break. Well, actually, even before when you went into the break, the only thing that you thought was that um, Destro and Piazza up front just didn't look like a partnership, uh, and there was there was just nothing there. You never saw them scoring. So even at one 0 at halftime, you didn't see them even winning the game. And then you came straight out from the break, a wonderful team move that Zielinski started from his own half that ended with a little sort of cushion flick back from Osman into his path um, to to make it two 0 and then uh, Leringer. And Pandev passed the ball to Napoli players on the edge of the box, which then the next pass was to the goal scorer to make it 4-0. And Genoa heads just went. And every time Napoli uh, attacked for the next sort of 60, 65 minutes, it looked like they'd score every time. So I think there was a a, a bit of Genoa sort of collapsing, but um, and, and Napoli sort of kind of finding their goal scoring streak. Who needs goals though, right? When you're creating as many chances as Ozzyman was, and you saw he was loving every single goal that Napoli scored until about the fifth. I noticed the first four he celebrated very enthusiastically. When the fifth went in, he looked a little bit annoyed. But I think it's it's noticeable the players go into him as well. Because I think they understand how crucial it is to get off the mark when you've joined a new club and you've been brought in and you're, and you're a striker and you've been brought in for a, a huge fee. Um but they're clearly appreciating what he's doing for the side, and he's you know he must be getting on with them there because they were going were going up to him, and making sure they were involving him in the sort of the um, the, the celebrations. Um, uh, you know, you hope a goal eventually comes, and, and maybe we'll see him start to to fire some in. Napoli do look good though. They looked good in the second half against Parma. They looked good here against Genoa. They face I think Juve next week, but they will be without Lorenzo Insigne, who looks like he's going to be out for. Three to four weeks, Vito. How big of a blow is that going to be? Um, yeah, I think if they play like I think they play like that going forward, then it's not going to necessarily um, hinder them not having Insigne because a lot of their their better work this evening happened without him on the pitch. Um, and I think if Juve start at the pace at which they played the majority of the game against Roma, um, Napoli could get a couple of goals ahead of them before Juve have time to blink. Oh my God! Right. That's enough on Napoli. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we'll try not talk about Napoli next week because that was five minutes that the listeners will never know about. But five minutes of absolute chaos that uh, took considerably longer than <laughs> will seem in the actual podcast. It's not often that we have to edit stuff from in the actual pod. Usually I fluff an intro. This week we're, we're giving me my my work which is annoying because it's a particularly late recording this Sunday evening so I'll be up till all hours um next Torino Atalanta Atalanta's first game of the season but nothing has changed four goals four different goal scorers Papu Gomez still orchestrating absolutely everything Vito are you listening oh yes yeah and again this was another game where at least the first half in particular, you could really say, was uh, an advertisement for Italian football. Just was such a crazy way how all the games, were, uh, the goals were really 
uh, flowing through in that first half. And look, Atalanta were clearly the dominant side, but uh, Torino did have the moments, and uh, well, it was just a yeah, really a joy to see Atalanta back in action. I thought both teams they're having, you know, they've got coaches with hacking styles, but uh, Gasparini has been at Atalanta for four seasons. Giampaolo he's been there, you know, barely a month, so they're going to take time to learn his style. But yeah, two contrasting styles, you know. Uh, Torino went down the middle, a lot of short passing, whereas uh, Atalanta used more of the pitch and uh, having such uh, excellent wingbacks like Hatabul and Gozans and their importance to the Atalanta side, I think that helped with their movement overall. Uh, they were a bit more direct in their passing, a bit quicker. So I think it made a fundamental difference that they knew each other well. But uh, once again, Atalanta showed that they really are one of the uh, strongest sides now in Serie A, but they're still the most entertaining one as well. Yeah, Papa Gomez ended the game with two assists and a goal. He could have had more than two assists, particularly if Robin Gosens had taken the chance that fell his way. I think that was at 1-1 or 2-1 to Atalanta at that point. But Kev, I mean, Papu, it was his 200th game for Atalanta. He got his 100th career goal and his 69th and 70th assists as a Serie A player since he joined Serie A in 2010-2011. Nobody has more assists in Serie A than him and that is considering he spent one season in Ukraine as well. He's, I mean, he's quite a phenomenon yeah uh, you know a wonderful player to watch I was quite disappointed because um, I either hadn't worked uh, realised the game was going on so early but also that it wasn't set to record so I had to make do with the highlights and um, although you got his best bits um, going by what you and some other uh, keen Serie A viewers were saying on social media um, it was worth watching the 90 minutes or the minutes that he was on the pitch just for what he was, what he was doing, and it, it's great just to see that they're they're continuing and Papu's continuing, given his latter years. That hopefully it just continues for another few seasons. This was without Ilicic and Moranchuk as well, who are going to be two big additions to the team when they get back and are firing as well. But Kev again, like. Four different goal scorers and four really nice goals. Yeah, it's the interplay is just, you know, it's just lovely to watch. Um, if if this was a different stage of Gasparini's career, you would be worried about him getting poached by a, you know, a, let's say a traditional, traditionally bigger club, but. Um, they, a bit like Sassuolo, who we're going to come on to later, just going to continue with their methods and, and be the, the the entertainers of Serie A once more, I think. That Luis Muriel goal was something special. The ball from, from Gomez doesn't really need describing. Just It was beautiful. But then that strike, I mean, Muriel does this so often. He, he gets into a position where there's not really a shot on. And the goalkeeper is clearly not expecting him to shoot so early. And he just finds these improbable angles to pick out so early on. And he so often scores with chances that you don't think he has any right to shoot with. Yeah, and he strikes it so crisply and cleanly that, uh, you know, he gets so many of those goals um, from those tight angles. 
It was beautiful, but it's something that needs to be said is the the pitch at the Stadio Olimpico Grande Torino was a scandalous. It was it was awful. From within two minutes, Muriel was falling over, and chunks as big as I don't know, bigger than the penalty spot. Chunks were just cutting off. It was ridiculous. And there was a point where I can't remember who it was. There was a a Torino player who had his leg caught under a falling Atalanta player and it looked like it could really seriously injure someone. So hopefully they can get that sorted. Maybe it's down to the fact that the, the preseason wasn't long enough to allow them to do any serious relaying, but it, it would be a concern. But on to Torino, Andrea Bellotti scored twice. It was quite a good day for Bergamo in reality. Bergamo beat Torino 6-0 because Andrea Bellotti is, of course, Bergamasco. And he scored two Vito, some nice celebrations marking, um, or not marking, referring to the fact that his girlfriend or wife is pregnant. He, he put the ball up his shirt and did the little rooster thing on top of the ball, which was quite adorable. But why is he still with Torino? Look, I'm, I'm puzzled by it too, but I think it also goes to show that uh, Urbano Cairo is really playing hardball when it comes to Balotti. He seems adamant that he really wants his 80 to 100 million euros for him, which I don't think he's worth. So it's very hard for him to find takers. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, Balotti hasn't forced the move either because I think he's too good of a striker to be at Torino, especially given the current circumstances and the, let's be blunt, lack of ambition. Yeah, it does very much seem like Cairo just kind of has him in the palm of his hand, but he's only under contract until 2022. So you would imagine at the end of this season, it's going to be a situation where if he hasn't renewed his contract, he's going to go for probably considerably less than 80 million. I mean, there's no way they're going to get that from. But Kev, you were you were quite a fan of his second goal, strangely enough. Yeah, well, it was because we were talking about you know him still being at Torino. It was the second one, the fact that it came through a crowd of bodies, and so often you see, uh, let's not pick anybody out, let's call him a lesser striker, kind of accept that a defender or or somebody else is going to get a touch on the ball, so they don't follow the path of the ball. But he reacts so quickly then to nod that nod that home after probably it's skipping up off the turf where he would have expected two players to get it that that made me question once again why he was still at Torino. I know obviously the the valuation is a sticking point and it will be interesting to see if he signs a new contract or he tries to force the club's hand to let him go at the end of the season. Um, We're going to move on from that game now, but just before we move on to the rest of the games, I do want to point you in the direction of ForzaItalianFootball.com because... I did have the opportunity this week to sit down with new Parma president, Kyle Krause. He's come over from the United States. He's bought Parma. And yeah, he he's a reader of the website, you know, and I think an occasional listener to the podcast because the reason I was able to arrange it so quickly and basically beat everybody to speaking to him was because I clicked on his little Twitter handle when Parma announced it. And I saw that he followed me and followed the website and followed a few of us. So there you go. Hello, Kyle, if you're listening. Or hello, Kyle's team, if you're listening. So head over to the website. Have a look at that interview. It was, it's quite good. He seems like he's very much got his head on his shoulders. He cares about Parma. It looks like 
they're going to get a few more signings. And he told me that there's going to be three announced in the coming days. Probably Tuesday, he said, one of them would get done. One of them is already done. The new defender coming in from Argentina, Valenti, who is basically, I've spoken to people in Argentina. He sounds like Malinowski, but playing in defense. He's just got a cannon of a left foot and he loves to smash it. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, Palmer are going to have another couple of signings announced probably by the time a few of you listen to this podcast. And then there are others as well. The, the two that are set to be announced he aren't coming from inside of Italy. And then there are negotiations going on with others within Serie A as well. So Palmer's side far from settled. And yeah, I don't know. Did, did you guys read the interview? Uh, I did. And yeah, it was... Uh... Yeah, I was interested that, yeah, he's got Sicilian origin, so that was an interesting one. And, you know, he was a former Juve fan, a bit like uh, the Fiorentina president, Rocco Comiso. So, as to show, you know, uh, the Juventus loyalties, that don't always last. And uh, But it's uh, also good that, uh, you know, he's got a basic idea of uh, Italian football. He seems like he's interested and wants to build a project. Uh, just to go a little bit off course um talking about the transfer market and players um i noticed when watching the inter fiorentina game that ricardo saponara is still on the viola bench and fabio liverani is coaching parma now so i thought since he's such a staunch user of 4-3-1-2 and saponara only works as a trequartista surely the ducali could uh, bring saponara there and i reckon he could uh, make some sort of impact there. I think it's a move that would make a lot of sense, and his name may or may not have come up while I was speaking with <laughs> Mr. Grouse last week. But, yeah, there you go. Kev, how about you? Oh, like uh, lots of things in my week, they get bookmarked for about two months' time when I find the bookmarks that I've saved. <laughs> I knew that. That's why I specifically asked you, you know. <laughs> Um, right, what's next? Milan. Milan beat Crotone 2-0 just about, though. It wasn't the most convincing of wins. But before we talk about the game, I don't think we're going to spend too long talking about that game, Zlatan Ibrahimovic tested positive for the coronavirus. And, I mean, he announced it in a typically Zlatan way. And to be honest with you, I usually find them quite funny. I, I can understand why people find it quite exhausting. But, Kev, I'm not sure how this sat with me, given what he's talking about. I'm, I'm not quite comfortable with it. Um, yeah, well, I, I think at this stage, I'd already seen um, a tweet from uh, Gary Lineker that um, said something, and I'm paraphrasing now, that... Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has tested positive for the coronavirus, poor coronavirus. Mm. And then um, Ibrahimovic seems to come out a little bit later. But, you know, he had that he had that training ground tweet last year. It, it was a god in his pupils or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, he, he's, he's doing excellently <laughs> for Milan. But, yeah, it gets a bit much. See, that I, I think that one's funny. I don't know why. He's not, like, trivialising a virus that's killing thousands of people in that one but I don't know he's Latin isn't he? he he is what he is I do love him but yeah I just when I saw that I was kind of thinking ah Ibra 
maybe that's not the right one. Maybe just sit it out this time. Gary Lineker, he bothers me. People like him bother me. And I'm sure he's lovely. But I'm always unsettled by people who always seem to need to say something funny. You know? Yeah, well, he must be like Zlatan that lots of people find them engaging because I don't follow either, yet they they uh, pop up on my timeline so frequently. Every time something happens, Lineker posts a, a funny tweet about it. And I, I have a day off. Um, well, I mean, maybe he's got a lot of day offs, and if I had that <laughs> time, I could tweet and yeah. read your interviews. I don't know. I just I worry for him, you know? Who are they trying to? Who are they trying to impress? Just, I wouldn't buy for him too much. I've just seen his the latest salary at the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that's why he's got the time, as you say, to to do the the funny tweets, funny very much in inverted commas. Um, Vito, they did win Milan. They they won two nil. Frank Cassie scored a penalty, and uh, Brian Diaz scored um, on his starting debut. So. I mean, some reasons to be excited for Milan. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. And more than anything, at least they did win without Zlatan. Um, probably before the ball was kicked, I was probably concerned that maybe Milan, for some reason, would botch it simply because he wasn't available. But they got the two goals. And uh, judging from the highlights, it looked like they were the only ones really having any chances on goal. Didn't didn't look like a Crotone posed any sort of a threat at all no it really didn't but you were speaking about players who you had kind of forgotten about their whereabouts someone in this game who i was very happy to be reminded of was of course crotone goalkeeper alex cordats do you remember him in in their last spell in Serie? i remember you nick carroll and i used to come on the pod basically every week and, and praise a heroic performance from him so Hopefully he can do some more fun things this season. Yeah, I think I think they really need him to because uh, he's the well. When I think of talisman, I think of sort of goal scorers, but he's like the bandiere, if you like, the leader, and he's probably surely going to go down as the greatest goalkeeper. But he's just such an important player, whether it's Serie A or Serie B. Cordas has been the man; he's been the rock in the goals. So. Um, I'm really pessimistic about uh, the Squally's chances this season, but uh, if they do pull off another miraculous survival, um, don't be surprised that it's because of his uh, marvellous saves. Mm, I think there are a few teams in Serie A who I would be quite concerned for. They are very much one of them, Vito, I'm sorry to say. We'll get on to one of the others in a moment. <laughs> I think you know where that's going. Uh, that, look, we'll talk more about Milan next week because, I mean, a 2-0 win away to Crotone that wasn't exactly inspiring doesn't inspire me to talk too much about them. But on to something that I feel like might generate a little bit of conversation was clash of the the worst kits in Serie A, Cagliari-Lazio. The, the Bianco-Celesti, they won, although they weren't wearing Bianco-Celesti. They were wearing a horrible green, a luminous green shirt. It, it finished 2-0. Immobile scored. But... Kev, which kit was worse? Uh, I, I'm going to say Cagliari's because they, because of what they've done to you know their traditional colours. As <laughs> well, opposed describe to what, it. What, what have they done to it, Kev? 
Well, you know, they, they've just put these, these this, it's become an eyesore, these white sleeves on what would traditionally be their navy blue and red sleeves to match their, what do we call that, halves? Is that, is that, the, is that the term, halves? Um, and yeah, they just stick out because, you know, if they have white shorts with it or white somewhere, you know, white somewhere else in a block of, of colour, then it, they wouldn't look stand out so much. But yeah, I, I I did also see someone refer to the Lazio kit as radioactive green, which which mm. was about right. But um, the colour gets bad, isn't it? Like it's really bad. I'm looking at it now, and there's a bit. So on the blue half, the bit at the top of the shoulder before the Adidas stripes, there's just a random red shoulder bit as well. It's it's horrendous. If you haven't seen the Cagliari kit, go and look at it because I think. They've tried to be too clever and ended it, up butchering it. It looks like Adidas had some offcuts. Mm. Oh, we've got some weight bits here. I'll, I'll not, remember, enough, not enough for the back. Put them on the sleeves. Do you remember when Inter did that thing the season before last where they literally took their last 10 kits oh, and God. cut them all up and put them together? That, that's basically what Cagliari have done, but they've taken an Arsenal kit or something. Yes, but there were a few Nike sides like Inter that did that because they were celebrating yeah. ten or twenty years together. But you know, like Inter last year, Inter last year was the year where they had sort of um, diagonal stripes in a panel across the middle behind the Pirelli. Yeah, oh yeah, that was horrific. But the, what do you make of their kit this year, Inter? It's all diagonals. It's like the the Pirelli bit has just grown and taken over the shirt. I, I didn't like it to start with, and maybe it's just because in in comparison to last year's diagonals behind the Pirelli, uh, we're doing a lot of product placement tonight, lads. Um, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's growing on me because it isn't as bad as that, that, that last kit. I think it's one that looks great on the players, but if you saw it in the street, it, you'd be like, get that off. It's a joke. But... Um, do you know what I quite like? I don't know. I don't. That's too strong. I don't hate the Lazio kit because I don't quite know why. I've always had a weird thing for those really vibrant, illuminous kits ever since that Barcelona one back in about 2004. It was probably the first of them when um, it would have been maybe the year before Messi made his debut, you know. Um, and then they kind of peaked around 2009, 10-ish, and now they seem to be making a little bit of a comeback. So, yeah, there you go. Anything to say about the game, Vito? <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Not a lot, to be honest. <laughs> Just that, uh, you know, that uh, Lazzari, he scored, which is uh, great to see because he's a... Uh, Excellent wing back and uh, Immobile is uh, continuing his scoring. So I think uh, business as usual for Lazio, to be honest, especially with Chiro there. Hi, Kev. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah. What, what have I Just missed? pretty routine. I saw I Kev know. waving. I must have said something. I yeah. was looking ahead and Kev started waving, oh. so I thought he was trying to get my attention. I must have what? repeated what he said earlier. I don't know. What? I, I was attempting to be subtle, so I didn't step in while Vito was talking. But um, but no, I was just to add that this was probably the the first game where because because I'm still in this mode where I think we're still last season, and this was a game where actually Cagliari weren't that bad, and I thought it's just two sides almost playing second game of the season. It's it, you know when they're still trying to get the rhythm from preseason. But um, right, well in the future. Either pop a message in the chat or hold your hand like this. Don't, don't say hello. I mean, that's confused <laughs> the two of us. So you must be in the wrong. <laughs> um, right, we'll move on. Kev, I think we could probably um, pop out here, you know, because Sampdoria blew a lead to lose 3-2 to Benevento. Vito, take it away. Uh, I can't believe it. We were winning 2-0 after 18 minutes. I just, I can't believe it. And uh, Candreva made his debut, uh, set up a goal for Liverpool target, Omar Colley. So it seemed that we were on Sorry, way what? to getting our first win. Omar Colley, yeah, he's been linked with Liverpool. I don't know if that's actually going to go through, but it's one of the more bizarre transfer rumours <laughs> I've heard during the summer, and I'm sure Kev will agree. Even Ben Hughes, who's also of FIF and a Liverpool supporter, was... Probably puzzled by it too. <laughs> I saw him linked with Atalanta over the summer and I just closed my eyes and pretended that I didn't see it until it went away. <laughs> Kev, do the same thing and you might have a similar fortune. Um, Kev, Sampdoria might get relegated this year. Uh, I, I, would, I would love to um, poke a finger at Vito over their potential relegation. But I think actually the, the three teams that came up, sadly. Um, oh, ben, one of them just beat them. Oh, yeah. But, you know, this is where I, this is again, this is a bit like the, the, the last game we discussed where I've got to try and remember that we're only two games into the season and these things will kind of average them out. Um, as much as I want Samp to go down because of the, um, the Candreva announcement. I know you like. <laughs> Do you not like it? Uh, no, I found it a little um, cheesy. Um, and, and for anybody that's ever heard one of my jokes, would probably be surprised that I find anything cheesy. I was say. Not funny. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I can't I can't see them going down. But they are it's a strange situation because they just looked, you know, and Vito's clearly probably watched it back, even if he didn't want to. They look so comfortable, even up to was it the was it as late as the seventieth minute that they were still leading? And then yeah, until uh, the 70th, wasn't it? I, I couldn't. I can't explain what happened. I think it's uh, look a fraction similar to Yakini at Fiorentina. Just when you think the game is over, you think you just slow it down and whatnot. And I think there were some spells in which we should not have just uh, taken it easy or just given uh, Benevento a chance to attack because. Uh, Benevento weren't too shabby on the ball. They were actually quite decent going forward. And uh, Emil Dero in the sump goal actually had to make some terrific saves. So, um, yeah, very good performance for Inzaghi's side. And uh, I think uh, Super People can be proud of himself that he's managed to get them into Serie A. Um, he's in a club which has a clear project. And they have backed him in the transfer window. So, um when we did our Serie A predictions, I did predict that Benevento would stay up, so they weren't in my three to get relegated when we did the FIF predictions. But, uh, yeah, even so, um, uh, Sampdoria should have uh, handled the game better, controlled it better, and uh, we did have, a, have other chances to extend the lead. But, uh, yeah, it does show that even describing our overall squad is me as mediocre would be polite because... It is quite a weak squad, and I do expect a very long battle ahead. Yeah, I don't have Benevento to go down either. I've got the other two, and then Udinese, who I seem to predict every year. But uh, yeah, I, I reckon what will happen with Samp this year is that Ranieri will be doing an okay job. He'll have them around 15th, 16th. Ferrero will lose his nut around Christmas time, or maybe February. Sack him. And then it will just expose the fact that Ranieri was doing a better job than he should have done. And then whoever comes in, they'll just sink like a rock and get relegated. And Ranieri will be dilly-dinging with his Leicester City-branded bell somewhere. I don't know where he chooses to live when he's not coaching. Mm -hmm. But there you go. That's that's my prediction. But I, I think the reason I liked the Candreva announcement so much was because I hadn't actually known that it was that close to completion. I knew there were talks going on, but I didn't think it was done. And then I saw this video pop up and someone say, this is excellent. So I watched it, not knowing that I was watching an announcement video. I thought Quags was doing some sort of um, advertisement. And then when Kandreva <laughs> pops up, I'm like, oh, I like that. That was great. It was a lovely little surprise. But... If if they'd had a little humility, they'd have had Candreva just placing the plates at wrong seats on the table that Cagliari <laughs> was sat at until the until the delivery finally got to him. I do like <laughs> the idea of Candreva arriving as an assist man. I mean, he spent his last five years just taking ridiculous pot shots from forty five yards rather than crossing the ball into the box. Mm -hmm. So I'm not quite sure that's going to work. But Quags did score, Kev. Um, where are we placing the bar for this season because last season obviously doesn't count because it was interrupted by covid and he can't play every two days so. was it was the what was the the target 15, i think oh uh, i had it i had it in my mind that it was 20 but uh let's lower it to 12 
12. So if he yeah. scores 12 goals, do I win? Uh, yeah, if you if if he nah, scores, we'll put it, look, well, he's gonna you score get a pizza 12. from me next time we next time we'll we're in. 12.5, 13, I win, 12, you win. Okay, all right, Go perfect, on. good. Um, Sassuolo beat Spezia 4 1, although it could have been a lot more if VAR didn't exist because Chicha Caputo had three goals ruled out all correctly, it should be said. He did then get his goal, but Sassuolo, like. With Atalanta, I suppose, Vito, they're just going to keep doing what they do under Roberto De Zerbi. Yeah, well, that's for sure, because although there were patches where Spezia, they looked quite intriguing. You know, uh, Sometimes they press, they try to attack, but uh, I think the lack of Serie A experience is evident at this stage. Whereas with uh, Nero, the Nero Verdi, they're, they're pretty much settled on the De Zerbi, they've bought it to his ideas. And although we saw some different goal scorers and all that, um, I think for me, the player of the match was Locatelli. I just really enjoyed his passing game, the way he orchestrated things in midfield. I think he's really starting to mature as a midfielder. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of a reference to international duty. He played well on his debut against the Netherlands. So um, to see him playing the Italian national team and for him to really take control of that uh, Sassuolo midfield, which had been uh, bossed by Francesco Magnanelli for many years. I think uh, it's very positive for Sassuolo to see and also for the future of the Italian national team that he's uh, progressing like he has been. I know he's said it so many times last season, but Sassuolo are great. Just watch them. Just watch them. They're going to they're gonna qualify for the Champions League this season. Um, who won the game last week? It was Kev, wasn't it? It was. Yes. Remarkably, the man who shows nothing but hatred. Oh, he's got his hand up. Hello. Are we already on the game? Why? Well, so, so okay, so we've missed one game. Did we? And I can give you a summary of the game we missed, which was Barano. Oh, yeah, we did. And my summary would be, so bad, I decided to put some picture frames up for the wife. Because I left it about I left it about thirty minutes in and put these pictures up that we'd had um, hanging around for a while. You know why it was? was. Oh, there we go. And this—that's the man who just made that joke, listeners, is the man who didn't like the creative video that Sampdoria came up with during the week. Um, Do you know why it was bad? Um, Who were the away team? Uh, Udinese with the away That'll team. Be it. There you go. Ross. But, Ross. No, it's yeah. Like yeah, see, I can't even remember that veto. <laughs> <laughs> you could, oh, then it must have really been bad. See, well, I had pictures. You didn't watch it. But the one, well, I, had it, I, I then had it playing behind me on the TV. And the, 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 thing that, the, the thing that annoyed me was the la- at the very end of the game, the British commentator said, so that's six points, six points out of uh, six for Verona pending appeal, and then made no explanation to anybody might, that might have been watching <laughs> that had no idea why their three points would have been pending appeal, and it cut the transmission. That was it. End of game. Oh. We're going now, everybody. So there you Strange. Go. Very um, well. Well, if you're tuning in to, to wonder why, it's because 
Roma forgot a player's birthday and forgot to put Amadou Diawara on the list. So their nil-nil draw from last week was turned into a 3-0 win for Verona by, like I said, yeah, um, correctly, Roma are appealing it. So it might get overturned, but it shouldn't because Roma messed up. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of forgot about the game, but does anyone care? Well, then there's a loss. That's what matters. <laughs> there you go. They're on the way down. Um, we're on the game now, guys. You ready? Yeah, go for it. Right. Uh, regular listeners will know that this is the time to turn off. And new listeners follow the old listeners lead by turning off right now. We're playing a, a game, which is uh, I've got a, a mystery player. Uh, I've got their Wikipedia page open and the guys have to answer a series, have to ask a series of yes, no answer questions, closed questions, they're called, um, to determine the identity of the player. If the person asks a question to which the answer is yes, they continue. If they ask a question to which the answer is no, the power changes hands to the other person. Kev is famously terrible at this game, but somehow won last week to open the season. So, um, Look, even a blind squirrel occasionally finds a nut, so we'll see how his form continues. This week, Kev, are you ready to go? I am ready. Are you ready? Uh, yes. Because you know what my first question is going to be, as I promised Don't do you. It. <laughs> yes. Right, what's your first question? Is it Bruno Alves? Not Bruno Alves, Vito, it's your turn. All right, then. Do it again, by the way. <laughs> okay, is this player a foreigner? He is foreign. Okay. Does he play for a team in the north of Italy? He does play for a team in the north of Italy. Does this player play for a club in Emilia-Romagna? I've forgotten who he is. Hang on. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't play for a team in Emilia-Romagna. Uh, does he play for a side in European competition? No. This, this season? No. Okay. Hey. Uh, all right. Now I'm just going to change regions. Okay. Is this player from one of the um, Ligurian clubs? No, he's not from one of the Ligurian clubs, I'm very sorry to say. Is he over 30? He is over 30. Uh, is he an attacker? Um, he's not an attacker, no. I'll give you a, a rundown of where we stand so far. So the player is foreign. He plays for a northern Italian club. And he's over 30 years old. He doesn't play in Emilia-Romagna or Liguria. And he's not an attacker. And he's not in one of the European teams. I mean, I think there are only two teams left. Three teams left who he could play for. Yeah, it's not my turn, though, is no, it? No, Oh, my turn. Okay, so does this player play for Torino? He does play for Torino. Right, showtime, let's go. All right, Torino, um, is it an on-field player? So not a goalkeeper. 
so is this player not a goalkeeper? What? You, the goalkeeper no. plays off the field? Out, outfield. Where are you I playing your goalkeepers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, is, he is an outfield player. But I don't know what the answer to that... The answer is yes. <laughs> he's, he's an outfield player. Vito he's continue. an outfield. Yeah, I said on-field play instead of outfield. He went yeah. American there and I got confused. Damn it. Right. The crowd are on the on-field. Oh, <laughs> like we've just—I've just said that I've interviewed an American owner in Serie A this week, and you started doing that. <laughs> no. Okay, so fans midfield. I don't know what's. All right, okay. Anymore. All right, is this player midfielder then? He is a midfielder, and I think you're about to get the answer. Okay. Um, is it Carol Linetti? Oh, it's not Carol Linetti, but I was supposed to talk about him this week because Samp are in trouble for letting him go. Um, Kev, over to you. Torino oh. midfielder, not Carol Linetti. He's over the age of 30, importantly. Oh, I missed that clue. Now oh, I right. I'm just going to guess because I'm not sure how we're classifying him. But Mate? No. Okay. Oh, All right. He's still, he's still central midfielder, isn't he? Yes. I would have, yeah, I'd give him a midfielder. What? Yeah. That's, I can't speak. Guys, come All right. on. Okay, Thomas Rincon. Yeah, it's Thomas Rincon. Oh. It's Thomas Rincon. Kev, say goodbye to your chances of an upset this season because you needed to storm into an early lead. And if you don't mind me saying, you fucked it. I'll still, <laughs> get, I'll still get one more point when I go Bruno Alves one week. <laughs> no, because now Vito's up first, so... That power, yeah, but he won't, he won't do that. No, yeah, that's true. He'll ask if it's like a southern Italian player, and then I'll say, Yeah, are you still gonna go Bruno Alves? Yeah, there's <laughs> one week you'll you're think you'll try and double bluff me. I nearly did it this week. I thought he's not gonna do it twice early on in the season, but I'll do it when you least expect it. Um, okay. Do you want to do the outro? Um, enjoy Bologna Palma next... Uh, uh, no, I don't want to do <laughs> Right. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Head over to the website, ForzaItalianFootball.com. We're on all of the usual social media channels. Twitter at Serie A FFC. Facebook and Instagram at Forza Italian Football. Um, read the website. We've got articles going up very, very regularly. Head over, read my interview with Kyle Krauss. Um, keep up to date with all the latest Serie A news and we cover basically every single match and remember we're the only English speaking Italian football website who actually go to games although this weekend we couldn't go to any because of the coronavirus so we'll see you next week goodbye bye everyone ciao ciao
Say that. <laughs> it's family show. Now we um, hit general for six. Right, hang on. <laughs> Are you self-editing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that well, yeah. Go on, carry on. Yeah. Ooh, can you edit that one? Hey, edit yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, off the fairies. I was checking something else. Right. Did you hear the question? No. <laughs> Kev, did you hear the question? I heard the question, yes. Uh, right, jump on it, go. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.